Well, welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and our Sunday School lesson for July 17th of 2022. And we are again looking at the life of Daniel. And this is part two from what we covered on the uh, July the 10th. And we have a situation where Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has had a dream. It's a troubling dream. It's robbed him of his sleep. He's got a little insomnia over it. But more than that, he's uh, agitated, has some anxiety over it. And so he does what any king would do in that situation. He calls in his astrologers and his sorcerers and uh, magicians, those people. And he says to them, I've had a dream and I need to know what it means. And obviously, if you were one of those Chaldeans, you would say to the king, okay, tell us a dream and we'll tell you what it means. Ironic that Nebuchadnezzar apparently had some trust issues with these clowns because he said, no, here's the deal. If you really are worth what I'm paying you, tell me what I dreamed. And when you tell me what I dreamed, then you can tell me the interpretation. And if you can do both of those things, then I have a good reason to believe you when you say this is the interpretation. If you don't, then how do I know that anything you do is legitimate? Um, pretty smart guy when you think about it like that. Now, it is a possibility, I suppose, that Nebuchadnezzar had the dream. It made him anxious. It, it uh, was like a nightmare. And when he woke up after he had been awake for a while, he couldn't remember it. And so he's saying to them, you know, fill me in and tell me what I uh, dreamt. And of course, when they said the right thing, he would remember it. But I think the way this is uh, set up in the scripture, the way that it's recorded for us, it sounds a little bit more like Nebuchadnezzar was somewhat suspicious of these people. Now, um, I think we brought this up last week. So teachers, bear with me on this. Back in those days, kings had a good reason to be suspicious and to be a little paranoid because there were any number of people trying to kill them. They did not have a constitution and, you know, that type of thing that governed them and governed the monarch. But Nebuchadnezzar was it. And he could do whatever he wanted to do whenever he wanted to do it and however he wanted to do it. And there was very little, if anything, that anyone could do. Now, that also means, too, that assassination was about the only way you could get a king out of office unless he got sick or died of old age or something like that. But, um, you know, they would have food tasters and all of that so that uh, they could make sure that they were safe. They had security guards and all of that. So uh, they lived their lives with a little bit of paranoia. Every time they went out in public, anytime they ate or drank anything, is somebody trying to kill me? Is somebody trying to take my throne? And uh, I think I also said before that explains why at the birth of Christ, that Herod the Great was so absolutely paranoid over the birth of a baby because um, that, that could be give rise to a rebellion against him and maybe even an assassination attempt. So that's kind of the way kings lived. 
And so uh, if you have a king who is pagan and superstitious, he may be thinking, uh, perhaps the gods are trying to tell me something through this dream. They might be prophetic in some way, and I need to know what the thing means. But at the same time, if you have a, uh, maybe one of your wise men who is participating in a coup against you, okay, with a group of people that want to poison you or assassinate you in some other way, uh, how does the king know that you, as a member of that group, whether he knows it or not, would give him the correct interpretation of the dream? Perhaps in Nebuchadnezzar's mind, the gods of Babylon are warning me, you know, don't eat a burrito on the 15th of July or whatever. And uh, so when he tells the dream, this wise man, this astrologer, this magician, whomever might be part of a group wanting to kill him. And they might say, don't eat it on the 14th, but it's fine on the 15th. And the 15th is the day that they plan to poison the burrito. I know that's a little bit silly, but you get the idea. And he is simply putting things out there to say, if you know what you're doing and you really are getting a, a word from the gods and are gifted by them, then you'll be able to tell me the whole thing. Now, of course, they came to him and they said, no one on earth is able to do this. No one can do this except for the gods and they don't dwell among flesh. Well, little did they know there are no gods for one thing, uh, what they worshiped were demons, and certainly demons couldn't do this. They're limited in everything that they do. But there is a God, a God in heaven, who rules and reigns over the affairs of men, who created every one of us and created the universe, ex nihilo, out of nothing. And he certainly knows the entire answer. And so um, we saw last week that Daniel, when the... Uh, uh, people have gone out to start killing the wise men and the astrologers because they couldn't do it and they told the king they couldn't do it. Uh, they, can't, they come to Daniel and Daniel goes, what's the urgency in all of this? And um, he, then he's told the uh, capital punishment because they couldn't tell what the king's dream was. And that's where we uh, pick up our story today in chapter 2, verse 16. The angry uh, king here has proclaimed this edict, uh, and this is going to include Daniel. Let's not forget that. He is not one of them, but he is lumped in with that particular group. So we're going to look at the response of Daniel because we're talking about, this is part two of the life of Daniel, be ready. He, he always seemed to be ready for these types of trials, and I think what we see that he did in the trial was no different than what he did before the trial or even um, after the trial. So we'll begin reading in verse 16. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies 
from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the Lord God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever for wisdom and might are his. And he appealed, here we find number one, to the king. And he appealed, uh, the last two words are especially important, with honesty. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I read the verses, I thought it interesting that back in uh, the earlier verses, when the king is talking to the wise men and the sorcerers and magicians, uh, Chaldeans, uh, he says to them, basically, you're stalling. You're looking for more time because you think it's going to work to your advantage. And all that did was agitate him. Did you notice here that when uh, Daniel goes before the king in uh, verse 16 and he asks the king to give him time, and it didn't seem to agitate the king. It didn't seem to inflame or infuriate the king. In fact, the king seems to have granted his request because he left the presence of the king and went back home and got with his friends and they had an all-night prayer meeting here. And uh, why did that happen? And I think it's because the wise men wanted time just like Daniel did, but they didn't get it because of the way that they approached it. And in Daniel chapter 2, verse 8, the king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time because you see that my decision is firm. And if you do not make known to me the dream, then there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me. In other words, you're going to get together and come up with a lie and you're all going to tell the same lie so that it looks like, uh, as you work in collusion, it looks like you had some kind of an answer. It's what that means. And uh, till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. So interesting that he reacts so differently to these other people than he does to Daniel. Now, let's consider the fact that most likely this king has been working with the uh, other people that are mentioned first a lot longer than he's been working with Daniel. Daniel is a young guy. Daniel is a relative newcomer. He came from Judah, you remember, in the Babylonian captivity. He worships a different God. He has a different culture. He eats different food. Everything about Daniel is different than everybody else. Why would the king give him a break when he didn't to the other guys? And, uh, you know, these other people are probably there because at one time or another, they had given the king some good advice and the king felt like he could trust them and that's why they had a job. But now the king is a little suspicious. He's not real sure about them. He's laying this out in a test. And uh, why would he give Daniel the break? And I think the reason is, and this is a good lesson for us, I think Daniel was upfront and honest. Upfront and honest. I, I stopped by um, 
a car place up on 240 uh, quite a few years ago, and there was a car I was interested in. And uh, of course, when I pulled up, here comes a salesman, and uh, I rolled down my window and I said, look, uh, sir, I'm actually in a hurry and I don't have time to get out or drive or talk or negotiate or haggle or anything like that. I've got, I've got to get going, but I saw this car and I am interested in it. And he said, okay, what can I do for you? And I said, would you go talk to your manager and give me the best price that you possibly can on the car and, and do it quickly? And so the guy goes, sure, I can do that. And he goes, you know, back into the office. He's gone for a few minutes like they do. And then he comes back and he says, okay, here's my, here's my price. And I said, that's your best price? And he goes, yes, sir, that's the best price. And I go, well, that's too much. I'm not interested. And the guy goes, wait, wait, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. And I said, uh, what for? And he says, uh, I, th I, think, I think we can do better than that. And I go, no, look, I don't have time to mess with all of this. And the guy actually stood in front of my vehicle. And I said, sir, I'm leaving one way or another. You might want to move. And the guy goes, well, you need to give me a chance to go back and talk to my manager again. And I said, you told me this was your best price. And the guy said, well, yeah. And I said, then there's no sense in negotiating. It either is your best price or it's not. I said, now I'm not interested in doing business with you because you told me a lie. And if you will lie about this, you'll lie about anything. You might ought to move out of the way. And he moved out of the way. And I've never been back to that place since. Um, I tell you that story because sometimes when people get caught in a lie, they don't even realize how serious it could be. It costs that guy a sale. He might very well have gone back and gotten a better price if he had told me something like, um, well, that's the best that the manager will do. But to be honest, I think we can do better than that. Will you give me another shot? I might have gone with it, but he told me, it was his best price. See what I'm saying? And in the same way, the king, maybe he's heard from these Chaldeans and others before that, yeah, we know what we're doing and there's nobody better than us and we can always give you this answer. But then when the king adds one more component to it, uh, no, we can't do that. In fact, nobody can do that except the gods. Uh, this is setting everything up just perfectly for God to glorify himself and to make himself known to Nebuchadnezzar and to make himself known to the Babylonians. And he's going to do several things um, in this uh, book to glorify himself. And Nebuchadnezzar actually later on becomes a worshiper of God, but not yet and not now. This is all part of it. And I think Daniel's honesty, forthrightness, I think it might have impressed the king. Now, I've met some significant and powerful people over the course of my life. And one of the things that I find that most of them really like are people that will be straight with them. In fact, there are certain people, I've read uh, even some autobiographies of people that are uh, even serving as presidents of the United States who said, that somebody that would be honest with them, even though it kind of stung 
when they heard it, they appreciated it because when you're powerful, you're surrounded by people who don't want to upset you, don't want to agitate you, and they want to tell you what you want to hear. And so they're impressed by the person that will tell them what they don't want to hear. Might it be that Nebuchadnezzar, as he was hearing Daniel, as he spoke on all of this and said, I need some time for this. And Nebuchadnezzar said, finally, somebody who's honest. And if you'll be honest about this, knowing how angry I can be, knowing what my edict is, knowing what I said to the other wise men concerning this, and yet you dare come and ask for more time, maybe this is a young man that can be trusted. Sure, you can have that time. You know, they tell us that honesty is the best policy. For the Christian, it's what we would say is the only policy. It's not just best. It's the only one. We're told not to bear false witness. We're told to put away lying. We're told that we're supposed to be people of the truth. And it might be that those times when we kind of have an inward panic attack, when we're worried about what's going to happen, and so we lie to cover something up or to make ourselves look better than we really are or to keep from suffering consequences, we may be cheating ourselves out of a blessing if we would only tell the truth. And by the way, to stretch the truth, exaggerate the truth, tell half of the truth, or to flat out lie is really an act of cowardice, and it's a lack of faith. And the Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin. And so we ought to be honest about all of this. I think it was Winston Churchill, not sure, but I think it was Winston Churchill that is um, attributed to saying uh, something like this. I may not say everything I believe, but everything I say, I believe. I may not tell you everything that I think, everything that I believe about a situation, we got to be wise. We got to be discerning. Not everybody needs to hear everything you think when you think it and the way you think it. Use some discretion. You don't need to have diarrhea of the mouth or even diarrhea of the mind where you spew out whatever is uh, coming to your mind, even if it's true. Or sometimes it's best to keep your mouth shut. You think about uh, what Lincoln said, it's better to be silent and be thought a fool than it is to speak and remove all doubt. Now, he actually got that from King Solomon in the book of Proverbs, but that is the way it ought to work. I may not say everything I believe, but everything I say, I believe. And I uh, am going to say and go out on a limb, I think that's why the king responded positively to Daniel when he didn't to the other ones. He thought they were trying to trick him. Daniel was not, and that was clear. Now, secondly, he did not lose focus. He did not lose focus. Verse 17, then he went to his house and made the decision, the decision of the king, known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Now, I don't think if you look at Daniel's life, you're going to find out that this was uh, something that only happened in emergencies. Some people kind of act like prayer and getting good counsel and all of that is something that you only do when you're desperate. It's 
kind of like the fire alarm for emergency use only. I don't think Daniel was like that. And uh, to be fair, that's because I've read the book of Daniel and I know the start to the finish of his life and I've seen the consistency of it. But I think that only strengthens my point. I think when we look at the entire book of Daniel and the entire life of Daniel, one of the things we see is he was a man of faith and a man of prayer. This was not the kind of person that when trouble came, he had to start praying more. He was already praying right. My father-in-law said one time that if you have to increase your devotional life or your prayer life because a crisis comes, then you were just revealing that it was inadequate to begin with. Did you get that? If you have to increase it when a crisis comes, you're only proving that it was inadequate to begin with. And so we're seeing here that Daniel was just doing more of the same. He didn't have to change anything. He was just doing what he always did. It was his custom to have good and godly friends and to get their counsel. It was his custom to spend time in prayer and to glorify the God of heaven. And so Daniel's life was one of consistency and consistency is a virtue unless you're consistently wrong. Practice makes perfect, they say. Well, not if you're doing it wrong. You've got to do it right. And that's why we've got to walk with God according to the word of God. And we've got to apply the principles of the word of God to get it right. And then we've got to be consistent. And there are so many people that I see that they may get a concept right, but they're just not consistent in applying it. In disciplining their children, they're just not consistent. In their giving, they're just not consistent. In their worship attendance, they're just not consistent. In their Bible reading, they're just not consistent. When they do it, it's good, just not consistent. And then there are other people that um, they're consistently wrong. And so no matter how hard they try, they never really seem to get anywhere because it's, well, they're just wrong. So consistency is a virtue when God is honored and obeyed. Those two things. Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now notice how the exhortation is running the race with endurance. That's another word for consistency. And Jesus is our model and we're to keep our eyes on him. First Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Notice that always abounding, always abounding in the work of the Lord, not just off and on and in spurts. I had a friend that, um, I hated whenever he and I would ride with his mom because on the expressways in Tulsa, she would drive like this. She'd hit the gas 
and the speed limit then was 55. And so she would hit the gas until she got to about 65. Then she would let off the gas until it got down to about 45. Then she would hit the gas until it got to, you know what I'm saying? Oh man, for a guy that got car sick, it was horrible. Just be consistent. Well, that's an illustration of how some of you and some of us live the Christian life. We've got to quit doing that and we've got to be consistent like Daniel. Number three, he was persistent in prayer. Verse 18, why were they doing this? Not that they might just commiserate and cry together and, and sympathize with one another and have empathy with one another. Oh, those things are fine. I don't mean to make light of them, but they're so inadequate. You may come up with me if I've got a problem in my life and you may cry with me, but when it all is said and done, so what? It doesn't change the circumstances. I appreciate the gesture, but it doesn't change anything. What I really need maybe is a doctor. What I really need is maybe a million dollars or something. Where, when do we get practical? Well, that's why Daniel went down and he said prayer is the practical. That's where the work is done. That's where the power is. That's where we see things really happen. And it says in verse 18 that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And so uh, that they, they were going to pray together. This was unified, powerful, fervent prayer that's encouraging. You find this in the early church when they were threatened by the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. And in verse 23, it says, And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that's in them. And they began to pray to this powerful God. And the characteristic of somebody who truly is regenerated is the desire and the ability to seek the Lord. Lost people don't have that ability, but you do if you're saved. Psalms 9 verse 10 says, And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And Daniel and his friends as believers are seeking the Lord in this matter because God is the only one who knows the heart and the mind of saints and sinners alike, even of wicked kings. And their prayer was one of desperation because there was nowhere else they could turn. And this, by the way, is no liability because when you turn to the Lord, you're turning to the best, the most powerful, the most loving, the most merciful, the most knowledgeable one of all. He should never be the last resort, but the first resource. And then number four, praise was never an afterthought. See, we find people that whenever something happens or when a prayer is answered, then they want to praise the Lord. Daniel was a uh, a praiser of the Lord anyway. That's another one of his consistencies. And the Bible says, verse 19, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Now, do you think that was his first time or the only time that he did it? You'll think forward again, okay? 
And uh, sometimes when we refer to Daniel's life ahead of time, it's kind of like all the Star Wars movies. They come out and then they show you what happened before. Daniel, when he was getting ready to be thrown in the lion's den, what did he do? He went to God in prayer, but he didn't hide it, even though the king had made it illegal. He opens the windows and prays toward Jerusalem, and everybody knows what he's doing. And it's what he was doing because it was his habit to do that. He was consistent in it. He didn't do it just because of the lion's den. He did it in spite of the lion's den. Well, that's what we find in Daniel's life. And here he is praising the Lord. And notice he says in our text, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And so when you think about Daniel in this situation, he knew the Lord. It's obvious he knew the Lord. Have you ever listened to somebody pray and it was obvious they weren't used to praying? It was obviously obvious they didn't know what they were saying. They were just kind of repeating cliches that they've heard. And then you've been around that person that when they pray, you know that they know the Lord. That's Daniel. That's Daniel. Now, God spoke to Daniel through dreams and other means. And he would do that um, in the Old Testament, particularly, and some in the New, until the Bible was completed. In 2 Peter chapter 1, 19 and 20, Peter writing about this, he says, And we have the prophetic word, that's a word from God, more fully confirmed. In other words, we have it, in other words, we have it in a better way. And he says, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all. And how does he explain this? What is this more sure word of prophecy? It's not better dreams. It's not better visions. He says this, that no prophecy of Scripture See what it comes down to? The book, the word of God, comes from someone's own private interpretation or some translations say private origin. We have the word of God. And so you don't have to depend upon me to say, oh, I went into a trance the other night and this is my word for you. How do you know I went into a trance? How do you know that I'm even communicating it well? How do you know that I'm telling you the truth? But if I preach from the word of God, you can look it up for yourself. And it always says the same thing. And we always find the truth. That's why scripture is more reliable than dreams, visions, intuitions, feelings, any of that. Always go to the word of God. And then do something else that Daniel did. Always give the glory to God. This is not about promoting Daniel. This is not about making Daniel a big shot. This is not about getting Daniel in with the king. This is about making known the God of heaven. It's kind of like David and Goliath. David and Goliath is not a story of how to overcome all of the problems in your life like some people do it. This was David, an unlikely kid who had no business fighting Goliath, winning a battle and killing the giant that the armies of Israel were afraid of. And what was it? It was a showdown between the God of Israel and the God of the Philistines. God is making himself known. We don't take credit for any of that because this is all about the Lord. And this is the reason that this book of Daniel is in the Bible, to show that God is in control of all things, 
people, and even situations, and that all wisdom comes from him. So why would a God of wisdom and might, like Daniel said, let any of this happen? Why does he let things happen in your life? Well, let's consider some reasons. Number one, to glorify himself. Sometimes nobody listens to you until you suffer, until you're in between a rock and a hard place. Now they want to hear what you have to say, and God makes himself known. Number two, he did this to discipline Judah. Why is Daniel in Babylon? Because Judah lost a war. Judah was overrun. Judah was conquered. Why did that happen? Because they had sin in their life. And Daniel is one of, well, he's the collateral damage, we might say. And yet he wasn't because he was there by the divine decree of God. Number three, to bring a witness to Nebuchadnezzar. Boy, between all of these things happening, and uh, just Nebuchadnezzar's own experiences, uh, he's got a target on his back, and the Holy Spirit is hitting the bullseye every single time. And Nebuchadnezzar becomes a worshiper of God. And number four, to prepare Daniel and his friends for future trials by building their faith. And that's what we're talking about, being prepared, being ready. What you go through today, what happened in chapter 1, what happens in chapter 2 is getting Daniel and his friends ready for what's going to happen in chapter 3 and on down the line. And so could any of these be the reason for what is happening in our culture, in our family, or maybe in your life personally? Maybe it's not exactly like what Daniel went through, but your trials may be showing your family how great God is and how you glorify him. Maybe the trials in your family are God dealing with the sin that has been in your family for generations, and God says, that's enough. We're going to get rid of that. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe God is doing this in your life because he is going to draw someone in your family and maybe he is using you. And as you go through these times of hardship and suffering, it's going to be to create faith by the power of a sovereign God in the heart of a family member later on down the road. You don't know, do you? And so in all of these kind of things, we have to think and we have to think biblically. And that's why these things have been given to us in the life of Daniel. It's not just a story about Daniel it also needs to become a part of our story as we walk with God. These things are written for our admonition, the Bible says. Learn from them, grow from them, and praise God for the prophet Daniel. What a great man of God he was, even as a young teenager. May God help us to be more Daniel-esque, I guess you could say, in our own lives. And may God bless you as you teach your class for his glory and honor. Thank you for taking the time to listen.